Hey everyone, um, I think a lot of people are going to want a bit more sort of financial rather than legal academic content, so I thought I'd do a quick run through of what an ISA is. So, an individual saving allowance, aka ISA, is a vehicle for producing tax free income or capital gains. So obviously, if your ISA produces income, then it's free of income tax. If it produces a capital gain, then it is free of capital gains tax. So the income is more dividends, obviously, and the capital gains is more a profit you make on the selling of a share, etc. But there are more ways than just a stock and shares ISA, although... I think stock and shares ISAs are most common. I have one, for instance. They were first introduced in 1999, and originally it was just a cash ISA and a stock and shares ISA offered. But in 2016-17, the Innovative Finance, or IF ISA, was introduced. Any income produced by the ISA, some, of course, is free of both income and capital gains tax, and it's also worth mentioning that the tax relief is not forfeited when money is taken out of the scheme. There is a type of ISA in which there is a penalty for withdrawing, but I'll get onto that later. And one of the most important figures to know, the maximum allowance for an ISA as it currently stands, and I don't think it's changed, is £20,000 per tax year. That's important to know. It's not £20,000 total is £20,000 per tax year, so £100,000 over five years. The main qualifications in order to open an ISA is you must be resident within the United Kingdom, that's for any type of ISA. If you want to open a stock and shares ISA, you have to be over 18 because you can't buy or own shares if you are under 18, so obviously opening such an ISA would be completely pointless if you're un under 18. But a cash ISA is available to people 16 or over because the restriction obviously doesn't apply since it isn't for share trading. So if you want to open a cash ISA, you're avail able to do so from the age of 16. So. There is a, what is referred to as a flexible ISA. Until recently, the total money contributed to the scheme remained the same even after money is taken out of the scheme. So if an individual were to invest their full £20,000 allowance into an ISA, whether cash or stock and shares, and then withdraws £5,000 in that same tax year, they will have £50,000 balance in the scheme, but they've already used up their allowance. And therefore, if they lay a Try, were intending to pay £5,000 back into the scheme, they would actually be going over their allowance. And of course, that's what an ISA is. It's an allowance. A flexible ISA was intended to change the rules. From April 2016, investors could invest in a flexible ISA, which would allow them to withdraw from their current year investment and then replenish the balance without any unused portion being affected. 
the £20,000 limit is just a net deposit figure. So if you invested, uh, say, £10,000 and then took out £2,000 and later on put £2,000 back in, you would have invested £10,000 altogether, not £12,000. So your remainder of the allowance wouldn't have been affected. Hence, it's flexible and hence flexible ISA. So the cash ISA and stock and shares ISA. There's not much that needs to be said, I think, about these. So I decided to group them together. A cash ISA functions in much the same way as a regular savings account in a bank. And so it is usually held in a bank or building society account. Ultimately, what you're aiming for for a cash ISA is to put the money away and earn interest on it. And of course, the interest is going to be free of income tax. So it can be a way of generating some tax-free income if you have the money to uh, invest in it. Because obviously only using a small amount of it per tax year isn't going to generate any noticeable return based on current banking interest rates. But if you're able to invest £20,000 consistently over a number of years, that would produce noticeable income. A stock and shares ISA is slightly more complex because a cash ISA, it's pretty simple. It's cash. Stock and shares ISA, it's an umbrella term for a seriously large amount of um, potential investments. So regular share trading would be within the stock and shares ISA. Unit trusts would be within a stock and shares ISA. And investment trusts would be within a stock and shares ISA. So general buying and selling of stock and shares is the most obvious example of the stock and shares ISA. But trading in unit trust investment trusts, such as real estate investment trusts or REITs, do fall within the stock and shares ISA. As far as I'm aware, the REIT would fall under it. But this isn't an area I can speak with expertise on because it's not something I've practiced in because, as I'm sure you're aware, I'm not a practicing lawyer. I'm just a person with a master's degree who desperately wants to do something other than be a lawyer. So, the IF ISA. The IF, the Innovative Finance ISA, is designed for peer-to-peer -peer lending investments, which otherwise wouldn't have fallen within an ISA, because it's not a cash ISA. It's not just cash, it's lending as an investment. Although, in many ways, a bank account is technically a loan, as I've said in other uh, videos. And peer-to-peer -peer lending, uh, despite how broad the definition of a stocks and shares for all the purposes of a stock and shares ISA. Peer-to-peer -peer lending is not included, but because it's so innovative and risky, it is without a doubt the most highly regulated of all the ISA schemes. It is well and truly harder to 
get an innovative finance ISA. In order to offer it, the platform must have full Financial Conduct Authority or FCA authorization, and they must have received ISA manager status. Only then can they actually offer an innovative finance ISA to potential customers and consumers. Because of that, when it was actually launched, all major existing ISA platforms were unable to offer the innovative finance ISA. Those who did have FCA authorization and ISA manager status were actually, at the time, only eight relatively minor platforms. Although there were 86 who were awaiting authorization, which, as soon as it was granted, if it ever were, would have then been able to offer that Infinitive Finance ISA. So basically, on day one, there were only eight very minor platforms which could actually offer you an Infinitive Finance ISA. None of the big hitters within ISA. So Currently, I'd say people like Hargreaves Lansdowne, this trading platform, um, Free Trade, which is something I use personally. None of them would have been able to offer an IF ISA. And Hargreaves Lansdowne might have gone into it, but I don't think they have. I've never seen them mention an innovative finance ISA. And I'm almost 100% sure that Free Trade don't offer it. Finally, despite the similarities, an Innovative Finance ISA cannot include equities from a crowdfund, despite the fact that a crowdfund equity and peer-to-peer -peer lending would appear to be so similar as to be near indistinguishable. But, unfortunately, that's not how the law views it. On the other hand, debt securities and bonds issued by a company or charity can be included in Innovative Finance ISA. And there is also what's referred to as a Lifetime ISA. It was introduced in the 2016 budget with effect from the 6th of April 2017. So the beneficiary of a Lifetime ISA can use it to save for a first home purchase or to retire. And in order to qualify, you have to be aged between 18 and 40. Now, one of the benefits of a lifetime ISA is that the government pays a 25% bonus on contributions of up to £4,000 a year. But, and this is very important to note, this £4,000 a year is part of the overall £20,000 allowance. It is not in addition to it. So it's not the £20,000 in a stock and share or cash ISA or a combination of the two because it is possible to combine them, but very, very difficult and then £4,000 as a lifetime ISA. It's £20,000 full stop. Your entitlement to pay money into lifetime ISA, as well as to receive a 25% government bonus, ends at the age of 50. There is also a 25% charge on withdrawals, which is the penalty on withdrawal I referred to earlier. Unless one of the following applies, in which case the charge is ignored. If the withdrawal is for purchasing a home, which is one of the purposes of a lifetime ISA, the money will be paid to the conveyancer if so, but the penalty doesn't apply. 
because it's being used as it's supposed to be. If a beneficiary has reached the age of 60, which is when most people will be approaching retirement, they're entitled to withdraw the money without the 25% penalty on withdrawal. Or if at any age they're diagnosed with a medical condition giving them a life expectancy of less than one year, the charge is waived because obviously they're not going to be able to continue with the allowance much longer. They've got a life expectancy less than a year. It really is. They need to get the money out now in order to make any use of it. Some of the other requirements that need to be borne in mind, however, is that the first home must be bought with a mortgage. It can't be bought outright with cash. And the maximum price is £450,000. Additionally, as you might expect, the home cannot be rented out once purchased. It's not intended for landlords to fund their investments. The lifetime asset is designed to get people on the property ladder and to get their first home bought. So allowing a person to use a lifetime asset to buy a house and then rent it out would be counterproductive to the entire purpose behind the lifetime ISA. Now just a bit of practical knowledge. Does a lifetime ISA beneficiary lose out if they withdraw and attract the 25% penalty? Yes. You might have thought that because the bonus from the government is 25% and the charge or penalty for withdrawing is 25%, they'll cancel each other out. But they don't. The ISA holder will lose out because the penalty is charged on the post bonus total. So, by way of example, if you pay £2,000 in, so half of your annual lifetime ISA entitlement, the government would give you a bonus of 25%, which would be £500, giving you £2,500 in total. If you then sought to withdraw some money, the penalty charge will be at 25% of £2,500, which is £625, leaving you with £1,875 remaining. So, the penalty takes you to a net loss of £125, and that's without factoring in the amount of money that you plan to take out. So, you've paid in £2,000, and... The maximum you can actually take out is £1,875. So essentially by withdrawing and submitting to the 25% penalty charge, you're losing a not insignificant sum of money and of course as it gets higher you're going to obviously be attracting a higher penalty and it's going to create a higher net loss if you do attract the charge. I hope that's been helpful and if you understand ISIS a bit better. I've been friend and law, please like, share and subscribe. Thank you for listening.